Everything is real. I'm Natalie D. I'm Drew Toothpaste. And today we're talking about how the Doodleston messages were absolutely real. These were a series of messages that were in 1984, 1984 but perhaps they were in several times at once. Right. It's a great mystery of time travel and excitement. Now, Doodleston is a little town in England Mm -hmm. near the border of Wales. Right. It's actually probably a couple miles from Wales, max. It's outside of Chester. If you think about it, unless you're in Chester, you're outside of Chester. Right, right. Well, I mean, it's like almost touching it. That's true. (laughs) That's true. I don't know much about the Fortean nature of this part of the world. I don't know if it's particularly spooky or not. If you're in the Discord and you know anything about this, feel free to hop in and let us know. If you haven't joined the Discord yet, that's patreon.com slash garbagebrainuniversity. But Natalie, 1984... The Dodleston messages, one of the spookier things that has been done with a computer. Right, right. So the gist of it is, in 1984, there was this dude named Ken Webster who was living in an old cottage in Dodleston, England. <laughs> and he began to receive messages from his computer, which claimed to be from a man in 1546. Uh-huh. And later, messages purporting to be from the year 2109. This story, to me, is the weirdest shit in the world because of the computer communication between these people and some dude in 1546. 1546. That's what I said. I said it more than once. I want you to make sure you heard me. 1546. Emails from the past. Now, this is a time where people are sleeping on straw. Right. We're talking about this is a guy in a village, okay? This is not just like a little while ago. This is like Shakespeare, if you were to believe that that was a real person, was a contemporary of this guy, right? Mm -hmm. Right. And so this guy, 1984, okay? Imagine a computer in 1984. This guy's in England, so he takes home a BBC Micro B. This is... An old-ass computer, it's the kind where it's like this big box and it's got a keyboard kind of on top of it. Right. And it has 32 kilobytes of RAM and it's got a separate disk drive you have to hook up to it and you just plug it into a little TV and the TV's your monitor, just like a CRT, right? Right. And so he's a teacher, right? Yeah, he was a teacher at the nearby school. He lived in this cabin or this cottage rather with his girlfriend. And a friend of his. There was like a small group of people living in this little cottage, right? They brought this computer home and stuff started going on. And it's worth noting. So here in the U.S., there's basically nothing older than, well, here in Columbus, there are very few things that are older than 1900. Mm -hmm. We live in an area that has some historic homes because we're pretty close to downtown. And nothing here predates like 1915. Even in the oldest parts of America, you go back to the 1700s, well, shit in England could be a million years old. Right, who knows? It could be fucking a million trillion years old. I mean, it could literally be a thousand years old. Oh, easily, yeah. Uh And so they move into this cottage, and immediately, as soon as they move in, even before this guy picks up the computer, weird shit starts happening. Right, they start having poltergeist activity. One of the first things that happened in the house was they moved in, and then they saw one day that there were footprints going up the wall. And the footprints were weird because they had six toes. (laughs) 
they weren't used to living their new life yet, and so they're like, we'll just paint over it. And so they painted over it real fast, and the next day the footprints are back. So, first of all, the fact that the response to footprints was to paint the wall. A recreational painting of just a patch of your home is a really funny thing to do. Right, right. So you have to understand that they live in a house where you could just paint a patch on the wall and it would be okay. You have to understand this is like a different type of living. Right. Second of all, they went around and all their friends and all the people in the house, they measured the footprints and they kind of got everybody's feet and everybody's shoes and they kind of tried to measure these footprints that were walking up the wall Mm -hmm. and the way he described them is that they were footprints made of dust right like like a moth like you know how a moth is dusty it was almost as if somebody walked in something and then tracked it up the wall rather than leaving uh like a footprint in mud The footprint is there because it removes the mud. A footprint in snow, you know, you crunch down the snow. This is like a positive impression rather than a negative one, which is very strange to begin with. And also, why would you paint over that? You could have just brushed it off. You could have dusted it, my man. (laughs) Right. Maybe they were painting because they were just moving in. Uh, Yeah, maybe they were in the process of painting everything, so they went right over the footprints. But so, of course, they had six toes, which was weird. And, you know, these guys, they're young folks. And, you know, the guy's a teacher, he's in a band, he's got friends that are coming by that play music. It's that kind of situation, right? right? It's a very small cottage, it has a few rooms, and sometimes there's six or seven people in there. Right. Because they're all fucking around, there's artists, there's people playing music and shit. So he's like, yeah, you know, maybe one of my friends did this as a prank, but he goes around, and the footprints are smaller than anybody who had access to it. Right, right. They're just little teeny guys. I think he estimated they were size five. I don't know what equivalent that is in uh, United Kingdom footprints. UK five. That's pretty small. UK five. I thought I wore 40 in UK sizes. Yeah, I I don't know. Maybe this was like pounds. 38 or 39. Maybe this was pounds and sterling sizes. Right. I don't know. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Antiquated. <laughs> Gold and silver sizes. Right. Well, they had the feet going up the wall, but they also were having other kind of poltergeist activity. They had, like, cold spots. They had, like, noises and stuff. But the thing that stands out to me is they had some phenomena happening in the cottage where stuff would just get stacked up. Like, they would bring the groceries home, and then they would turn around, they'd come back in the room, and all the groceries were in a pile, like, stacked up in a tower. So the ones that strike me as being notable are that they bought a bunch of tins of cat food, which are like little tuna fish cans, right? Mm -hmm. Short and wide and circular. They brought them, and they kind of put them in the cupboard, and they made some comments about it being such a small house that it was even hard for them to put, like, a week's groceries away. They left and came back, or they went to bed and came downstairs, and all of the cat food cans were stacked up in a pyramid. Mm -hmm. Like, out in the middle of the floor. And, of course, it's like, okay, who did it? Right, right. Well, they also had furniture that would end up stacked up. I had actually seen photographs where they had come into the room and, like, all of their living room furniture was just stacked up. That's pretty classic poltergeist behavior. Right, right. Just moving the items. Yeah. And, and the thing that is very interesting about all these is that 
almost everything that happens in this house is happening when they're not there. If you remember the the movie Poltergeist, they pull the chair and they all stand there and they watch as the chair scooches back across the floor. Mm-hmm. This is somehow not what was happening in this house. It's like when none of them were there, when none of them were observing it, this weird shit would happen. Right. I think this is important to keep in mind for later. This is going to come back. Right. It's all stuff that is happening when we're not there. I had read this book a while ago. I'm trying to think of when it was, but it might have been a couple years ago. This story is recounted in a book called The Vertical Plane, and it was written by this Ken Webster. I had a dream, and when I think about it, it had to have been when I read this book because it was so, it was so obviously influenced by this book. I think that there's something kind of creepy about having your stuff stack up like that. And I had a dream that I just cannot get out of my head because I, I think cause it was so funny. Like in hindsight, it was very funny. I had this dream that I was making muffins and I was baking muffins and I put my muffins in the muffin tin into the oven and then I was baking them and I came back and opened the oven and all the muffins were done but they were all stacked up in a pyramid and I just screamed and screamed and screamed (laughs) it was the stupidest dream I ever had it really was and I don't know why I was so freaked out but I was like absolutely unhinged about it (laughs) I just opened the oven door and it was just like a wall of muffins I was like ah <laughs> anyway, so that's what I think about when I think about the story now. <laughs> so, I mean, I don't know how common this is. I've never had poltergeist activity. I've only ever very faintly seen one ghost. And we we recently talked about this in the Discord. I've gone to places that are like, this place is haunted. This place is super haunted. You will see weird shit. You will hear weird shit. And I really did. I went in with an open mind. And I was hoping to experience something paranormal. I literally was. And I did not experience anything paranormal until this past summer when we were staying in a cabin out in the woods and we're in the basement, and I saw just a shadow out of the corner of my eye. Didn't mention it. And it was some time later, Natalie was like, oh yeah, well, I did see a ghost in the house, and I got this sinking feeling. And I was like, was it in the basement? She's like, you saw it too. I saw you see it. I saw you see it. I wasn't even going to bring it up, but I, I had another paranormal experience the next day. And that is the only reason I brought it up. When we were in the basement, I was looking right at you when you saw the thing in the corner of your eye. You saw it in the corner of your eye. I saw it full on because I was looking directly at you when it happened. And it just looked like a shadow figure, like, poke his head into the room and see people in it and then back back out. That's what it looked like to me. <laughs> it, it didn't even occur to me that it was anything at all. And it's so stupid because I'm really bald. I have pretty advanced male pattern baldness. I don't have bangs. No, uh-uh. No bangs. You know, I've grown my hair out pretty long, but it takes a lot for it to get, like, mushed in front of my face. It's nowhere near your front of your face. No, no. And I'm sitting there, and I see something out of the corner of my eye, and I was like, oh, that must be some of my hair. (laughs) Well, the next day, you were going on a hike with Nona while I was cleaning out the Airbnb before we left, and I was in the bathroom, and you were like walking around and you guys were getting ready to leave and you were doing that thing where it's like we're leaving and then you come back in because someone forgot their shoes and this and that you know what i'm saying and i was in the bathroom and it was like that liminal space where i'm not sure if you left or not yet right and i heard 
what sounded like you doing that aimless walking around, like waiting for Nona to get her jacket and stuff, right? If it sounded like someone like just kind of padding around in the hallway. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Andy, haven't you left yet? And you weren't answering me. I was like, Andy, are you still here? And I could hear the padding in the hallway. And I was like, oh, he must be tweeting. <laughs> he's, <laughs> he's on his phone or something. He's just not paying attention to me. I was like, Andy, are you guys gone yet? And I heard the bathroom doorknob jiggle like you were going to come in. And I, I was fully expecting you to poke your head in and be like, okay, we're going, bye. And the doorknob jiggles and then the door opens all the way. And there's not a single fucking person in the house. <laughs> <laughs> and then I was like, oh, I got to tell Andy about the shadow guy. Because I didn't want to. <laughs> I will wait until I see something a couple times before I bring it up. But <laughs> So anyway, this is all to say, I don't know how common poltergeist appearances are. I haven't seen any poltergeist. I've only barely seen one ghost. So maybe this stuff is really common. Maybe it's common in England. I don't know. You know how you don't see blue unless you have a word for blue. Yeah. Like you don't see orange unless you have a word for orange. I feel like there is some of this kind of stuff like ghosts, like UFOs, where they are around us all the time. They are here all the time. And it is just us not being able to see them. But if you are able to see them once then it, like, flips a switch, and so it makes it easier for you to see stuff like that going forward. And it kind of is the same as that kind of hitchhiker theory with UFOs, where people will see a UFO, and then will always see UFOs after that. Okay, that makes I sense. I think that there's some there's some kind of stuff going on with that. Okay. And that would explain why certain people seem to have, like, more of a affinity for seeing those kinds of things. I've talked to people who have seen a ton right. of different whether it's paranormal activity or UFOs, they seem to have it happen again and again. And it's not just, oh, I thought I heard something. It's definitely seeing something or another repeatedly. Right. Like even in different places at different times, right? right? So this is just to say, this is already weird on its own, right? All the furniture gets moved around. And then, so he's working at the school and... Now it starts really getting weird. <laughs> So this dude is living there with his girlfriend and his other friend. And his other friend is doing something. She's going to grad school or she's working on a research paper. Or she's doing something. So he borrows this computer from the school. And this is really funny to me because my dad was a teacher and would bring the computer home from school. He would bring it home and play around on it. And I think kind of as a joke, they let me get on the computer and... I hopped on it and they showed me what to do and then I operated it because mm -hmm. it was an apple. Right. <laughs> so you just fucking, you stick the disc in and you turn it on and it boots up and you just play Load Runner or some shit, right? Right. I'm sure for like people born before World War II, they were like, my three-year-old son can operate a computer. He's a genius. <laughs> And this actually may, now that I'm thinking about it, this may have affected their uh, vision of me as being some kind of ingenue. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, so that's how I first used a computer. So the story of bringing a computer home from the school, because they let their teachers do that, it's completely plausible. And I've participated in that before. In fact, probably in 1984. Right. Because at the time, that shit was so expensive. So expensive. If you drop 
2000 bucks for a computer, that's like $10,000 now or something. It's a crazy amount of money. Right. Well, computers were really fucking expensive when they first came out. When I was in middle school, which was like 15 years after the story happened, 10, 15 years after the story happened, when people would talk about, oh, computers are the future, and then you would see the price tag on a computer, you'd be like, you're fucking tripping. <laughs> what are you talking about? Where is everyone going to get all this money to have computers? This is stupid. And I mean, obviously, I was really poor growing up, but it seemed inconceivable to me. <laughs> I was like, for some other people, that was not for me. Yeah, absolutely. And so this guy brings the computer home. It's got a word processor in it, right? Uh-huh. I don't know if people know what a word processor is. It's like Microsoft Word. It's what you type in when you want to type something in and print it out. When you want to type some shit up and print it out and have it look like a letter or whatever. That's what you use. So his friend hops on there and he's like, hey, this is a word processor. You type your words, you save it on the disk, you come back and work on it later. And then when you're done, you print it out, right? Mm -hmm. Well, he comes home from work one day and there's some weird shit on his computer. And this is when shit gets wild. He's already had this poltergeist activity. He's already had his cans and his chairs and his couch and all of his shit stacked up all different ways. Right, right. But then he comes home and looks on the computer and finds a message that was really weird, right? His computer said, True are the nightmares of a person that fears. Safe are the bodies of the silent world. Turn, pretty flower, turn towards the sun, for you shall grow and sow. But the flower reaches too high and withers in the burning light. Get out your bricks, pussycat. Pussycat went to London to seek fame and fortune. Faith must not be lost, for this shall be your redeemer. Oh. That's what I always said to that one. Oh. <laughs> now, if I woke up and I had a file that said that on my desktop, you know, on my 2019 Mac, and I opened it up and there was that shit on my desktop, I would just be like, great. What I, I have ransomware now? Right, right. Great. They called me a pussy and told me to go to London to buy Bitcoin. <laughs> right. Is that what's happening? <laughs> if it was me and it was your computer, I wouldn't write that as like a way to freak you out. I would get on your computer and I would look up giant poops on <laughs> on Safari and then leave it on your computer. So when you came back, it was just pictures of poop. <laughs> That's what I would do if I was trying to own you with the computer. <laughs> So that is 2023. And so, unfortunately, we have no character from 2023 in this story. Right. But so this guy gets this weird fucking message, right? Mm -hmm. He writes it down or he prints it out, saves it or whatever. And he's like, this is bizarre. I don't know. Like, was this on the computer when I took it home? Did somebody write this as a prank? Whatever. And then the weird shit keeps coming, except this time it's not written in modern English, it's written really fucking anciently. Right. It's very anciently written. So I will say, I'm going to read you the next message he received with the preface that this was translated from Old English. And so what was written on the screen was a lot more difficult to read. Right? Mm -hmm. So the second message says, I write on behalf of many. What strange words you speak. You are a worthy man who has a fanciful woman, and you live in my house, with lights which the devil makes. It was a great crime to have stolen my house. L.W. And so this is suddenly in Old English, mm -hmm. and 
this guy reads this message and he's like, I don't know what the fuck is going on. <laughs> what is this? And this being England, I presume it's easier to find somebody that speaks old English. It's like here, if you want to find somebody that talks like the Twilight Zone, mm-hmm. you can find one. Right, right. And so he goes and digs out this guy. He knows, I think from the school, his name is Peter. And he digs the guy out and he's like, I can kind of make this out. It looks like old English. And Peter hops on the computer and he looks at it and he's like, oh, yeah, this is old English. Now, part of the problem with this is that, first of all, in 1546, which this guy eventually said, hey, uh, it's 1546, the year of our Anno or whatever. Mm -hmm, Right. Anno Domini. He tells the guy that it's 1546. Back in this time, we didn't have global travel. And so just in England, you know, there were different languages. I mean, there was Welsh mm-hmm. and Irish. There's Cornish down in the southwest of England, right? Right. So they've got all of these local languages. And so he speaks this dialect of Old English, and he gets his friend, who's some teacher, professor or something, to do this translation for him and help him write messages, which this guy is going to understand. Mm-hmm. So Ken reads this message and he's like, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. What's up? My name's Ken. Right. And this character LW, who first calls himself Lucas, he is like, listen, I don't know what the fuck you're doing in my house. I don't know why you brought such a fancy lady with you. Right. (laughs) And you have the devil's lights, which he eventually comes to realize is a way of describing the computer. Yeah, right, right. And so he was getting messages from this character almost daily. And and Ken is writing back. He's writing these messages and saving them onto the disc. And like when he wakes up in the morning or when he comes back from work, there's there's messages on it. Right. Another thing to keep in mind with this computer thing is that back in the 80s, people did not have connection to the internet. Like there were people who had internets, but it was like colleges, not very many people. Right. It was like extremely uncommon at this particular point in time. So this guy's computer was not jacked into any phone line. No. There was no program on the computer that would have allowed him to communicate with other people. He was writing text files and saving them, essentially saving him on the desktop and then coming back the next day and finding more files on there. Exactly. Yeah. And he even started, as this went back and forth, the guy in 1546 had apparently figured out just the basics of saving files and the basics of a file system and was typing stuff out. And when he was sending a message to Ken, he would look and there'd be like Ken 1, Ken 2, Ken 3. And he's like, all right, save file as Ken 4. (laughs) So this is, again, this is the story. This was recounted in a book that was published Within a few years of when this happened. Right, exactly. But he's writing to this guy. He's writing back and forth. And somehow the guy can see Ken and his girlfriend and his friend and his bandmates and stuff. He can see these people in the future, Mm -hmm. even though Ken cannot see this guy from 1546. Right, right. So this guy, he was signing everything as LW, but he eventually revealed that his name was Thomas Harden and that he had lied about his name to keep his identity secret. The guy from the 1500s, this Thomas Harden, said that he was given a light box from a man who claimed to be from the year 
2109. To me, the circumstances of the guy in the 1500s with his light box is like the part that is the most inexplicable to me. I've yet to make this part of the story make sense to me at all. So Thomas L.W., whoever, from 1546, claims that there was a man from 2109 who gave him a computer. Mm -hmm. Now... Did he have physical contact with this man? Did this man physically travel back in time? Now, this is really interesting because eventually, I don't want to skip too far ahead, but eventually Ken makes contact with whoever this person is, Mr. 2109, Mm -hmm. right? And the guy from 2109 is also weird in a different way. (laughs) That's how we all are. (laughs) But in a nutshell, the guy from 2109 told him that time travel is not possible, that moving matter through time is not possible. So I'm not sure how he managed to get a computer back in time because he explicitly told the guy that sending matter through time is not possible. So, you know, who knows? Mm -hmm. There may, I mean, I'm trying to come up with a way for how an ancient man could receive a computer in such a way that it was sent non-materially. And, you know, you could go through, you know, quantum explanations, this and that. And, you know, quantum mechanics is you can do things at a distance instantaneously. Can you find wormholes? Can you distort space and time with gravity? You can do all this stuff, right? Right, right. If we're talking about ancient man typing on a computer, we can figure it out, okay? Even if the guy somehow got him a computer in the ancient times... What was he plugging it into? Now, this is actually really easy for me because if you can distort space and time, you can just put a battery in it. You can put a really good vape battery in it. (laughs) I guess you wouldn't have any websites to look at and stuff. Yeah, that battery would not be draining. Oh, here's another thing. So this guy, Thomas, apparently got in trouble in part because of his devil's lights. Right, right. People around were just really cheesed off that he had the devil's box that was writing messages to him. Yeah. And so... Receiving messages from the devil. Yeah. So, I mean, he did, you know, his local church authorities and the local constable and stuff got really pissed at him. And so this was like a whole storyline. But I do think you could put a vape battery and especially if you got something... Because you got to keep in mind, these computers... When they first started bringing out microcomputers and selling them to the public, they, like, sucked a lot of power. They were, like, belching out radio interference and shit <laughs> right, like this. Right. But if you're in 2109, you could have a little Raspberry Pi and attach it to a vape battery, and it would probably last a year or right, something. Right, right, Exactly. So Webster was writing all of his missives on the computer and he was talking to Thomas Harden and he let it slip. He was from 1984 and Thomas Harden was like, Oh, hold up. Hold up, my man. The other guy I was talking to was from 2109. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> so that's how they, that's how they discovered Mr. 2109. Yeah. And so Ken, Ken Webster hops on the computer and all he types is calling 2109. And then this motherfucker also writes him back. Right, right. And so he receives a reply from 2109 that said, Try to understand that you three have a purpose that shall in your lifetime change the face of history. We, 2109, must not affect your thoughts directly, but give you some sort of guidance that will allow you room for your own destiny. All we can say is that we are all part of the same God. 
whatever he is. So he was there like, we can't tell you anything because that will fucking change the way that the timeline progresses. We cannot tell you anything because it will cause some kind of paradox that will destroy the universe. Yeah, you're gonna... But we're all one. Peace. Oh, man. <laughs> and this is pretty standard time travel stuff. This is Marty McFly watching his hand disappear when his parents don't fuck. Right, exactly, exactly. And so 2109, the first time they come in, they're like, we're not gonna tell you shit. Okay, this guy talking to the guy from 1546, Ken Webster now is understandably way more interested in talking with 2109. Right. We already know what happened in 1546. Right. (laughs) Whatever this guy did, it didn't make the history books. Right, right. So he comes back and he's like, all right, listen, 2109, I need to speak with you. Mm -hmm. And this 2109 guy eventually tells him and is like, look, I am doing an experiment I am talking to this guy and you finding out the real name of this guy and you finding out all these details and you interfering in this is like fucking up my experiment. I'm doing an experiment by communicating with this guy and you are fucking it up. Mm -hmm. And he never tells Webster what the experiment is. Maybe it's an experiment in causality. Mm -hmm. Like if he is communicating with this old timey guy, maybe there's something happening there. Maybe he is seeing how the future will be changed if he does something or this or that or the other. Maybe he is doing like an anthropological experiment and he's just trying to collect the thoughts and feelings on different people from different time periods or whatever. He never explains it. He's actually pretty pompous. Which you would expect from someone from 2109 who's doing experiments on people. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, that's a little bit of, like, playing God. Right, right. I mean, it was implication to me that the people who are involved in this story were educated. They were, like, collegiate. They were, like, elbow patch folk, right? Yeah, and as they go on, it turns out that this Thomas Harden, he had actually studied at a nearby college. Right. Wasn't it Oxford? It may have been. I don't remember the right. the college he went to, but... These guys were serious elbow patch people, and it was like elbow patches all the way down. Everyone involved in contemporary times were like college folk. Obviously, the guy in 2109 who's doing experiments on people from the past, he's obviously like uh, intellectual so-and-so if he has this position in the future. And the guy from the 1500s was no slouch either. We'll get to that also more later. So 2109, as you said, he never explained himself at all. But he did explain the poltergeist activity in the cottage. And he said that they were energies without a consciousness. And that they were being focused by being observed. And they would not carry out any behavior if they were not observed. Now this was really striking to me. Because this is one of the fundamentals of quantum mechanics. Mm -hmm. Observing some kind of energy that is exerting force in some way on, you know, three-dimensional objects in your house. Observing that force is causing it to happen. And what I think he's saying is that observing this poltergeist shit happen, and then you observing it after it happens causes it to happen in the past. Mm -hmm. So this is like a time experiment, and it's almost like reversing the direction of causality. The idea that somebody stacked up the tuna cans and then you observe it is not how it worked. 
you go into your house and you observe this energy, you are observing the results of this unresolved energy. And by you observing it, you collapse the wave function and make the past have occurred in a certain way, Mm -hmm. which kind of points to, he never fully explains himself, but it points to him maybe doing something like that in the past by talking to that ancient man. Right, right. Much to think about. Much to think about. So, Mr. 2109 also said that matter cannot travel through time and that he was not in direct control of the experiment and that Thomas is a person living in the 16th century, but unknown to him, he is not quite what he seems to be. What is he then? Is he a plant from the future? <laughs> is he an alien? Or is he a is he an android? Like, what is going on with Thomas if he's not what he appears to be? Because he appears to be... A medieval man. (laughs) He appears to be an old guy living in an old house, wondering what the devil lights are doing. Right. He also said that his family died of the plague. Yeah, that seems plausible. That was part of his storyline as well. Mr. 2109 also implied that there was some contact with the year 1941. And there was a being called One in the far future who they were all communicating with, communicating through and were perhaps all under the control of, which to me sounds like the universal consciousness. So maybe 2109 was doing some experiments with that. Maybe he was further along the point to collapsing everything back into a a single point. Right. And so he is trying to figure out what's going on with that in his own time by experimenting on people in the past, and he accidentally tangled up some other people. Right, exactly, exactly. I really like the fact that all of this is happening. All of this is happening on the world's shittiest computer. Yeah, that's not hooked up to anything. And so if you were to take this at face value and you said, okay, a guy from 1546 is having his computer's bits shuffled by, you know, energies that are being sent back through time or perhaps something in the future... You know, if you're saying you can collapse the waveform and create a past by observing the present, maybe this is being done by manipulating something in the present, which causes the waveform of the past to collapse in a certain way. Mm -hmm. He may have done something in 2109 to cause a computer to essentially drop out of the ether. Yeah, yeah. Which would mean, you know, you wouldn't have to time travel by uh, getting in, you know, the machine from the fly and hugging the BBC computer and handing it over to a peasant and going back. Right. <laughs> Thomas implied that the one had told him that Mr. 2109 was a taunter and warned Webster of believing anything that Mr. 2109 wrote. That was my perception. 2109 in the story does not seem trustable to me. It seems like a little bit like... They are obviously have they obviously have their own motives and they're obviously not going to tell you anything they don't want to tell you. It's not a trustable character, I don't think. I got the feeling that he wasn't just going to be opaque about this stuff, but that he was going to actively deceive the other people involved in it so that he could do what he wanted to do. Right, right. He was going to actively deceive them and trick them into doing something for his own end. Right. I'm going to stick a pin in that because we're going to come back to that when we're talking about why this is not true. Right? There are some issues that pop up with this and it all ties up with 2109. So at some point, 
Thomas Harden starts getting problems because of his devil lights and his box and his whatever, whatever, right? And he was locked up by the constable or whatever they had back then. Mm-hmm. And he had maybe some friend or something who was lightly involved in what was going on with the light box at his house. And so there was a whole involvement where people learned that he was jailed for it and they somehow got him out. I was skeptical about that part of the story. But when he came back from being jailed, Thomas Harden was like, I need to move on from here. I need to get out of here. People don't like me here anymore because of this devil box shit. I need to bounce. I'm not going to talk to you guys anymore. But I'm going to write a story in a book of all of the stuff that we talked about and all of this stuff. And I'm going to write this book. And then you will find the book. And then it will be proof that this happened. And then... No one ever found a book. <laughs> but man, there's a lot of old books in those old British colleges, man. Especially if you're talking about places like Oxford and stuff. What the hell kind of books they got there? And I mean, I think too that assuming that the guy finished the book, which let's be honest, writing a book is not easy. Writing all this stuff down is not easy. If you're in the 1500s, like you have to get ink and stuff. Right, right. You have to get a knife and cut a feather into a quill. You have to, <laughs> you have to jump through hoops just to write shit down. And then once you write it down, it's in your funky handwriting and it's in your old English. And then it's just, it's a whole morass. And then at the end of all that, you're an ancient man and you've got your book full of what you think has happened. And you're like, where shall I place this? I know the one place a modern man should look. The coal chute. <laughs> right, right. Well, I heard that he wrote the book in Latin, or he would have written the book in Latin. He was apparently a smart enough guy that he would have been able to write in Latin, allegedly. Okay. But no one's going to translate that book. It's like, nobody knows who you are and your little diary about your weird weekend. <laughs> right? I would like it if we found the book at some point, but absolutely, I'm not going to hold my breath. What evidence do we have that this was true? Um, the main one we have show that there was a Thomas Harden living in Dodleston in 1546. There was actually a guy there who lived there and was that guy. Okay. No other details of his life can be verified because we're talking about 1546. It's shocking that his name was on anything. I have exactly one relative that I can trace back into the mid-1500s, and it's because he was the mayor of some city. Right, right. Nobody else from that time. Everything between then and the 1800s is a big blur. <laughs> right. So what evidence do we have that it is not true? Uh, something noteworthy is that a lot of the facts and letters were wrong. And earlier I was saying we're going to stick a pin in this one. A lot of the facts in the letters were wrong, but people say that 2109 was feeding false facts because he did not want the real identity of the 1546 guy to get found out. Okay. So, I mean, maybe that is a reason that it is not true. Maybe it is a reason it's true. But to me, the story that, oh, that was 2109 trying to make it seem like, you're just trying to make the story real. It's fine. I like for things to be real, too, but that seems like a reach to me. Um, one of the other things they pointed out was that, like, his verb tenses and stuff were not correct for, like, someone who was living in that time period. It was a time when the English language was in flux, and so the way he was using a lot of the verb tenses was wrong. Also, in some of the letters he had question marks, and question marks were not a thing back then. Really? Right. And so, why was he using question marks? Maybe it's just because it's on his keyboard. He's like, what's this? <laughs> 
I can't see orange until you tell me what orange is, right? I can't use a question mark until it's on my keyboard. Oh my god. I mean, think about that, though. If you typed, what's this? And then you type the question mark and you think, that really looks perfect there. Right. (laughs) Right. So... All of these stories were written down in a book called The Vertical Plane, which we've mentioned already. It was published in 1989 by Grafton Books, and then HarperCollins picked it up at some point. Within the plot of the book, Hardin claims to be able to see what Webster and all the people in 1984 are doing, Mm -hmm. but it is not true in the reverse. The only thing they see is the footprints and stuff, right? And so, why is that? It doesn't make sense. Why can he see? Maybe he is like remote viewing 1984 when he is using this box. Maybe the box that he is using on his end is not necessarily a computer, but something else, right? Yeah, because the story is that the 2109 guy got this light box to the dude, but it could have been anything. Thomas Harden never describes what the actual thing is. I think... Ken Webster, in his writing of this, imagined that it would also be a BBC micro, but it it could literally be anything. Right. Well, there was some issues also with the description of what kind of computer he was using and then him talking about like using the wrong kind of floppy disks in it. Some of the technical details of Webster's story don't line up, and some of that may be, look, he was a teacher. Right. Maybe he said three and a half inch floppy and what he meant was a five inch floppy. He just misspoke. Right. Uh, you know, some of the details didn't line up and that kind of stuff is is very easily forgivable, but it's still incorrect. Right. Also, I will say that if you are in the Discord and you are interested in reading The Vertical Plane, like this is a book that is really, really hard to get a hold of. And if you find a copy of it, it is really expensive. If you're interested in reading The Vertical Plane and you're on the Discord, just holler at me. You know I'm good for it. Right. I will say, though, that The Vertical Plane is the most flowery bullshit book in the entire world. It is not written <laughs> it is not written like a report of some things that happened or like what you would expect usually from an account of paranormal events. Those books usually tend to be more straightforward and like whatever, but this is like extremely flowery and it is written like prose. And you really have to like plow some major piles of bullshit to get to the actual meat of the story in in this book. And that is worth mentioning that I feel like this guy as an English teacher maybe had something to write a book about for once. (laughs) Yeah, and it's like all of it is so convenient. Also, like the English teacher with his beautiful book he wrote with all the flowery language about sipping tea in the sunlight and this, that, and the other. And then he has a story about a chain of smart men throughout history. And there's a missing book that he must find. And it is all about the communications between them. No, they're all at Oxford. It's like, <laughs> it's a, it seems a little much to me. Okay, so the- convenient, a little convenient. <laughs> The one thing, Natalie, that stuck out the most for me as far as evidence that this is not true is that Ken Webster does what anybody should do. If you are talking to somebody from the future, you ask them something that they would have record of academically and you ask them to prove that they're from the future. He did this two ways. He asked Mr. 2109, he said, in our time, Fermat's last theorem is an unproven theorem. 
we don't have any solution to it. Fermat's last theorem is that a to the n power plus b to the n power equals c to the n power. It's the same as the Pythagorean theorem, except it's n instead of 2. It's mm-hmm. not a squared plus b squared. It's a to the n plus b to the n. Anyway, Fermat's last theorem is that you can't find integers for, for a, b, and c uh, that line up for any exponents that are larger than 2. It was proven in the mid-90s, 1994, I think. Mm-hmm. And Mr. 2109 said, well... Yes, it's been proven, but didn't give the proof. Right, right. <laughs> and then Ken Webster's like, okay, okay. So I, <laughs> he answered the question. So he moved on and he said, okay, I want you to prove that you're from the future. I want you to tell me what's your biggest Mersenne prime. Now the Mersenne prime is a prime number that uses the formula 2 to the power of n minus 1. So if you plug in 2 for n, you get... 2 squared, which is 4, minus 1, so that's 3. 3 is a prime number. Mm -hmm. You can also, in that n, you can also plug in 3, which yields 8 minus 1, or 7, which is a prime number. You can also plug in 5, which yields the prime number 31. Mm -hmm. You can also plug in 7. You can also plug in, like, 13. There's all these Mersenne primes. Well, so he gives... The Mersenne prime at the time, 1984, Ken Webster, he says, okay, this Mersenne prime, our biggest one we have now is 2 to the power of uh, 200,000 something Mm -hmm. is the N, 200,000. Give me the next one or give me the biggest one you got. And Mr. 2109 refuses. Now, I I understand what you're saying with this. And it is a frustration because if he was in 2109, he would have been able to answer either of those questions. But the very first time he messages them, he said, don't ask me shit. That's true. <laughs> if he told that guy the answer to the Fermat's last theorem to prove it to him, then that guy would have submitted it and collected the reward for it and changed the course of human history. Right. Okay. And the same thing would have happened if they gave him the next prime number, the last prime number. Mm-hmm. And he said in the first letter that he was not going to answer questions. So, I mean, I understand. True and yet also convenient. Right. But also Mr. 2109 did tell them that Fermat's last theorem was going to be solved soon, and it was. Yeah. So, I mean. That's a little of- <laughs> A little of column A and a little of column B. Gosh, if I was talking to somebody from the past and they said, Mr. Andrew, please, please tell me you found an element that has a number greater than 92. I'd be like, oh, I'm rubbing my hands like Birdman. I'm going to tell you about these. (laughs) Right. I would be too tempted. I would be like, I can't, I can't tell you all of them. I'm going to give you one. (laughs) Yeah. Lanthanum. <laughs> Run with it. I'm going to look outside to see if the weather changes when you discover that shit. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, like, there's evidence is not true. There's evidence is true. It's just like any of these other stories. But what matters the most is what you think, Andy. What do you think? How true do you think it is? Well, we're going to do what we always do, which is every topic we cover, we give it a rating on a scale of one, not true at all, to 10, completely true. And before I give my score, hop in the Discord again. That's patreon.com slash garbagebrainuniversity. Let us know what you think now that you've heard all of the evidence. Natalie, this is going to be a one for me. Yeah, yeah. And I'll tell you why it's a one. There's 
no evidence for any of this happening. Anything that happened, assuming that Ken Webster is a reliable narrator, could have been done by Ken himself, could have been done by another person, and there are no details of this story that match up with literally anything else that's ever happened. The fact that a guy named Thomas, which was half of the men in 1546, the other <laughs> half were named William. Right. The fact that there was a man named Thomas who had a common last name who lived in rural England doesn't seem to be a stretch and would easily be something where you could go to the local church and dig some shit up and say, it's that guy. And then when somebody independently goes to the same place where you got the records, they would say, oh my gosh, it really is a guy there. Well, right, yeah, right. that's where you got the name and the date. Right. I mean, in the... If the guy was there, it's just as likely that Ken Webster looked the guy up before he started this bullshit. Right. And I feel like the fact that he wrote this up into a book, and this book does not read like anything else. If you read the books about Mothman and Indrid Cold that were written by the people who were in contact with him, if you read Travis Walton's book, if you read A Close Encounter at Kelly... If you read the encounters of people who have had weird shit happen to them, it's never written like this. It's always written in such a way where you can tell they are describing real events. And they're trying to present it to you in a way where it's like, these are the facts. This is what happened to me. This is the proof I have. Please look at these facts that I'm expressing to you. And they're set up like they are doing their own investigation. That is always the vibe I get. It's like no one's paying attention to them, and so they're investigating it themselves. That is not the vibe you get from this book. No, it's, as you described, it's florid. It yeah, is right. florid in its prose. <laughs> it uh, I would make fun of it, but you would have to read it. To... Right. Like I said, if you, if you guys want to check it out, holler at me in the Discord, and I'll hook you up. Because you're not going to be able to find it anywhere else. So, unfortunately, this one is going to be bottom of the scale. This is going to be an Uno for me. Uh, I really, also, I really liked the part where he got into talking to the guy from the future. Because, like you said, we know everything about the past. Mm -hmm. We'll talk to the guy from the future. And if the guy from the future says anything at all interesting, that's like just even talks about stuff that's happening now in a way that suggests he has a different perspective, then you've got something there. Mm -hmm. Even if you don't have facts from the future, you have context from the future that contextualizes what is happening now. And it gives you a different perspective and it does affect your life. Well, maybe the guy was successful in not affecting anything by not giving any information at all. Right, right. So that is... Unfortunately, also very convenient. I never believe stories where everything lines up, everything is convenient, everything goes in the square hole. Right, right. <laughs> so Natalie, what do you think? I came in here thinking I was going to say zero, but doing my homework before coming in and talking about it for a minute, I'm going to be like magnanimous. I'm going to be a generous icon. And I'm going to give this a three. Really? Okay. Like, there are flickers in the story where things click together. And there's a ton of stuff where it does not. He got some facts wrong that were, like, ridiculous. Like, not knowing who the king was and shit like that. Like, I assure you that Thomas Harden would have known who the king was. Yeah. But... There's enough little convenient things with, like, the names matching up. And there is a couple other names, like the name of his friend matched up. 
his friend that they that was also in contact through the box who was in pivotal in the plan to get him out of jail which to me it, that particular storyline is like 100% not true to me a thousand percent not true to me where you're saving someone in the past that, that did not happen that did not happen but the, that guy his name matched up like he talked about like his lord or whoever that kind of shit matched up there were like some details that matched up and there were college types who were interviewed about this story and about their perception of what was going on and there were some who were like his old english is really great the way he speaks old english is fantastic and most people would not be able to do that and so if it was a fake it's a fantastic fake and so he received accolades for his style right and so like i said i am a generous and magnanimous person i will give this a three a very generous three it should probably be a two or one but i'm like i said i'm feeling very benevolent today oh you sound like when the teacher gives you your c but she tells you why you shouldn't have gotten the c to give you a very guilty c yeah right a very this is is a very guilty three i like time travel stories because to me they are so fanciful they're so crazy every single time because of all of the weird stuff you could talk about, time travel is the one thing where we have absolutely hardly any evidence at all of this ever having happened. And, like, even the idea of how such a thing would happen and how we would get tangled up in storylines like this, it's, like, impossible. I don't understand, like, how are we even talking about this? I don't know. <laughs> the The main time travel problem with capital letters is that if anybody's ever time traveled, we would have heard about it by now. And I'm sure that if it ever comes out that time travel's real, that there will be a loophole that makes that not a thing. It's like NASA nerds saying, well, you can't go faster than the speed of light. Obviously, you can, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, like, it, it's not even worth talking about. Right. So maybe the time travel problem of never having seen a time traveler yeah. in the past, maybe that's been resolved, but that is why time travel holds as much possibility as it does because it's not constrained by anything because it, out of everything, is the thing that has happened the least. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Out of all the things that didn't happen. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. <laughs> So, Natalie, out of all the things that has happened, do you know what has happened the most? Corey Grella selling life insurance. She's number one in Alaska. She sold life insurance in Alaska so many times. You'll shit. If you need life insurance and you're in Alaska, I don't have to tell you where to go. You already who else know. Would you, who else would you go and see? I mean, honestly, if it wasn't us telling you to go to Corey Grella in Alaska, you'd hop off that plane in Alaska and you would say, yo, mister... I need some life insurance. He'd be like, go to Corey Grello. That's who I used. Obviously. I mean, just statistically, I think. Number one, it means something, right? The majority of people there who have life insurance have probably gone through her. It's a no-brainer. Sure. I mean, how many people are there? How many life insurance policies are there? She's number one. Hundreds. Yeah. (laughs) If you had hundreds of life insurance policies on yourself, Natalie. Yeah. Where would I pretend to die? Harlem Township. (laughs) (laughs) Harlem Township, believe it or not, is actually the number one spot in the country for insurance fraud. Right. It's the best place to pretend you're dead. And I'm just going to go ahead and say it. Uh, 
We love Harlem Township. We love Corey Grella. Do not defraud her. She will know. She's number. She's not number one because she can't tell. Right, right. But listen, if you want to disappear around here, throw your phone in the Hoover Dam. Yeah, and start a new life under an assumed name in Harlem Township. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks to Corey Grella and Harlem Township for sponsoring us as they have done for so long. We love, love them. them and appreciate them. If you would like to sponsor us, head to patreon.com slash University. That's where you'll also find the details of how to join us in our exclusive members-only Discord, as well as hear the archive of something like 170... Maybe 180 shows that you haven't heard yet if you're not a subscribe member. Anyway, thanks again for listening. And remember, everything is real. I love you. Goodbye.